Hey guys, welcome to a Light in the Darkness podcast. I'm Carly Robison. I'm a wife, a mother, and a person who's been suffering with severe health challenges for over 10 years. Through that time, I've had successes and failures while trying to maintain a positive attitude. Now I want to share what I've learned with you, hoping to make your hard times a little easier. This podcast is to help those of us facing times of darkness and trial find ways to let the light in. Hello, thanks for joining us on the A Light in the Darkness podcast. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you to Drew Young. He has such an inspirational story, and I think a lot of us will be able to learn things from him. Before we get started, I'd like to tell you just a little bit about Drew. So Drew Young is a native of the East Coast, growing up in Connecticut, and now resides in Utah with his wife and his daughter. He studied at Brigham Young University, where he helped in teaching and developing curriculum for various student development courses. He's been sharing his story with numerous audiences around Salt Lake County for the past five years, and he's been featured in LDS Living's YouTube series and magazine. He serves as the publicity manager at Franklin Covey, where he assists in managing best-selling book launches, social media campaigns, as well as booking high-profile thought leaders, storytellers, and celebrities for On Leadership, the fastest-growing and largest leadership development online newsletter in the world. Drew also recently published a book called The Meaning of Your Mission, Lessons and Principles to Know You're Enough. I'll include the link to that book and where to order it in my show notes. So thanks so much for joining us today, Drew. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Sorry, that was a mouthful. So I'm, I'm grateful. Oh, it's great. I'm glad to learn about you. It's good to be here. Thanks for your time, Carly. Oh, thank you. So I think I'd like to kind of start your story, um, just getting to know you a little bit. So why don't you talk to us about growing up in Connecticut? Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, I, I'm a native of the East Coast, so I was born in Utah. And then when I was three years old, my dad got a different job that relocated us to Connecticut. Uh, he worked oh, okay. in New York City. And so uh, I spent ages three to 12 in Connecticut. So, I mean, even to this day, I consider it my home, my childhood. Um, just a lot of good memories. I definitely want to go back to the East Coast one day. Maybe not Connecticut, but maybe, you know, Boston, um, yeah. North Carolina, some, somewhere like that. So it was a lovely place, made a lot of great friends that I still have to this day. Um, and just really enjoyed myself, my childhood, learned a lot, you know, had some struggles. Um, but you know, we all do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then you said you lived there until 12. So when you were 12, what happened? So when we were, when I was 12, my dad got a different job that relocated him back to Utah. Oh. <laughs> uh, and yeah. And so started in Utah and I've ended up back in Utah, uh, where, you know, he, uh, worked for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, okay. so his job, his job, you know, took him to Salt Lake city and that's where, you know, I've lived since I was 12. Um, and, you know, went to junior high, high school. And then like you mentioned, BYU. So Utah has been a, a big part of my journey. That's great. So um, let's talk about um, your book is kind of talking about lessons and principles to know you're enough. And I know from watching other interviews and reading kind of things about you that um, one of the struggles that you've had throughout your life is mental health challenges. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Right. Yeah. So 
growing up, I had a lot of different mental health challenges. Like you mentioned, I, I talk about it a lot in my book. I talk a lot about it um, on social media and in different podcasts that I've done. And not because I, you know, I'm trying to, you know, come across as holier than thou or, you know, anything like that, but because I really feel like mental health is such a taboo topic yeah. that a lot of people don't really talk about a lot, either because they, they're embarrassed to talk about it because they don't think it's a, legi a legitimate illness, which it is, mm -hmm. um, or they think that, you know, people will judge them or see it as, you know, mental weakness, um, something like that. And so I've made it a really big point in my life to be really vulnerable with my story. And it all started, honestly, when I was just a little kid. Oh. I had really bad separation anxiety. And, you know, basically for your listeners that don't really know what that is, it's kind of just like I couldn't be away from my mom for long periods of time before I get really homesick. Yeah. And, you know, that included scout camp, that included um, primary, that included, um, you know, going to school. Anything that really took me away from my mom for more than an hour or two, I had a really hard time with doing. And I don't really know why. Um, you know, I've, I have a great mom, I have a great family, but it was just something that I dealt with throughout my, you know, preschool and kind of elementary school years. Yeah. And uh, it, it kind of subsided a little bit, uh, kind of started in Connecticut and then subsided a little bit when we moved to Utah. Okay. But then uh, about three or four months after moving to Utah, it came back with a vengeance. Oh, shoot. <laughs> about 12, 13 at that time, which is hard. That's a hard age anyway. Yeah, it really threw in some... Um, some curveball for curveballs for me because, you know, I wanted to, you know, I didn't know anybody in Utah and I wanted to go to school. I wanted to make friends. I wanted to play sports, all those things that, you know, you want to do as a 12, 13 year old kid. And instead I was always struggling to go outside and make new friends. I, you know, didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to do any of the normal things that you do as a kid because I was just had this, you know, this emotional, challenge that it was really hard for me to get past. And um, it actually, you know, one thing led to another and my parents decided to homeschool me oh. um, grades seventh through 10th. And that's obviously some, some big developmental years, um, mm. you know, for teenagers. And for me, it included a lot of bullying and a lot of moments where I just felt really lonely, really challenged, um, just really sad. And not because um, I had separation anxiety per se, but because people and kids my age didn't understand it. Even some of the leaders, you know, in school and in church didn't understand it. And so for me, it was, oh, you know, Drew's just homesick. He needs to suck it up. Or, you know, Drew's not strong enough to go to school, you know, things like that. And, and kids would make fun of me. Kids would tease me. Kids would not want to hang out with me because, you know, they thought I was just someone who wanted to stay home all the time. And so that, that created a, a really big um, developmental challenge for me growing up because I wanted to do all the things that, you know, normal kids do. And I just couldn't because of this challenge. Yeah. Um, but there's a silver lining to that whole thing, <laughs> um, you know, which included me kind of getting over it, you know, separation anxiety. I think it's just something that you kind of get over um, and you kind of move past, you know, once, once your brain just kind of gets to that point and 11th, 12th grade, I was able to go back to school and make oh, really good friends and have really good experiences and um, all of that before, you know, the real challenges begin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think, you know, I think it's really admirable. I think that separation is something 
separation anxiety is something that a lot of people talk about as far as like moms will talk about it when their kids are younger. Um, but there are definitely a lot of kids out there that have it um, even into their teenage years. And mm -hmm. it's something that's really difficult to understand and to explain because I don't think that just being tough and just, you know, toughening up and staying at the scout camp is going to help help you with that it's not the, the anxiety part that i think we need to focus on instead of the separation uh -huh. part and i think a lot yes, of times true in our um church activities and leaderships and things like that it, a lot of times it's easier just to focus on the separation part but anxiety is a very real and serious um thing going on in people's brains and i think it's it's really great that you can kind of provide a voice for those that <laughs> might be feeling the same way right so yeah. thank you yeah. um so then you said you know that's before your real challenges start so why don't we talk a little bit about then you you grew up you graduated from high school and then then what happened so i mean as most uh young men do in the church of jesus christ of latter day saints i decided that i would serve a mission and obviously that entails leaving home for two years mm -hmm. and uh my parents knew my background you know with separation anxiety and didn't um, want me to experience any of those feelings again um and so they decided that it would be best for me to go to school for a little bit to kind of test it a little test the waters and yeah. you know see if i could live away from home and i did great loved it didn't have any issues uh, went to a school out of state um, so i really enjoyed it and then received my mission call to the Baltic mission, uh, which is Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Belarus, wow. <laughs> um, which is just, you know, Eastern Europe, right next to Russia and Ukraine and Finland, oh, okay. those places. Okay. <laughs> and, I'm not you know, good with geography. <laughs> I know. Believe me, I, I didn't know where it was either. I thought it was in the Mediterranean. It sounded so tropical. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> but no, it's, 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 it's way up there. Yeah, it's really yeah. cold and um, it's way up there. So received the mission call. Um, and just said, you know, I'm going to do this. The Lord, you know, whom he calls, he qualifies. We've all yeah. heard that statement before. And I thought, you know, this is something that is part of my past, but won't be a part of my future. And so I kind of just got everything packed and got set apart and went to the MTC. And that's when my, my real journey began in terms of really trying to discover my own mission in life through pain through suffering, through discouragement, despair. And my mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints lasted 63 days okay. um, before I came home early due to mental health issues. Um, but it was a really uh, soul-trying 63 days. And, you know, it was, it was the first time that I'd actually experienced real anxiety and real mm -hmm. depression. Um, and I think that for me, it manifested itself through really bad panic attacks. Um, I was gaining an abnormal amount of weight. I was having a hard time sleeping. I was really jittery throughout the day and just really stressed about being perfect. So this, it wasn't quite as much the separation that was giving you the anxiety this time. It was something a little bit different. It was perfection. Is that what you said? Yeah, right. Totally. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't homesick at all. It was okay. really just it was really just, you know, it was trauma in my brain um, to try to be exactly obedient because for anyone that served a mission or really just been a part of the LDS culture, uh, we can have some really high expectations. Yeah. And, and sometimes it can 
cross the line to be unhealthy instead of healthy. And I talk about it in my book quite, you know, boldly and vulnerably. I don't put anybody down or any doctor down or anything like that, but I kind of just say, you know, there's a difference between doing the best you can and setting expectations that are perfectionistic. And when we try and have people be exactly obedient or perfect, then we're really just setting up a culture that makes it really easy for people to not feel good enough about themselves. For sure. Because we're not perfect. You know, we're not going to be perfect. We can be <laughs> Nobody perfect. Nobody is. And, the whole, that's yeah. the whole point of being here, you know, is yeah. Heavenly Father sent, sent his son because he knew none of us were going to be perfect. And yeah. I love how you talked about how it's cultural. Um, mm-hmm. I think there are so many things that are brought on by cultural beliefs of, yeah. I guess, of Mormons. You don't even have to call yeah. them the right name. <laughs> cultural belief of Mormons versus yeah. doctrine in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I love um, the things I think people would love to hear your book, to see your book and kind of read some of the lessons that you learned from the MTC. Um, but for our purposes, let's continue on with your story. So while you're at that MTC, you're definitely having a lot of anxiety. You're feeling panicky. You're feeling like you said you couldn't sleep. Um, you really mm-hmm. weren't sleeping very much at all. So I'm sure that they had you talk to a doctor and a therapist at the MTC. And what did they discover? Yeah, exactly. So I saw a therapist, saw a doctor. Um, you know, when they first saw me, they just thought, oh, you know, this is just a typical missionary who's homesick. Um, they didn't really, you know, diagnose me or give me anything, you know, too serious. They just thought, oh, we'll see him for a couple of weeks and he'll be ready to get on his way. Um, but it progressively got worse and worse as my time at the MTC went on and I got prescribed medication for the first time in my life, um, which was, you know, yeah, at the MTC, which was, you know, a whole new experience for me emotionally and mentally and physically. And, um, to be, to be completely honest, they had me on three medications in six weeks. Oh, wow. Um, which, you know, for anyone that has experience with medication, usually it takes four to six weeks to see any results. With one, yeah, um, with one medication yeah, before. with one medication. <laughs> so they, uh, they kind of had me on really fast acting medications that um, messed with me a lot Dude. emotionally and um, psychologically. And, you know, they were just doing the best they could. And I had yeah. no idea what to expect because I'd never been on them before. But it really just... Um, created a bigger gap for me emotionally where I just thought to myself, you know what, I can't do this. And it was such a tough realization for me to come to because you don't come home early from your mission. You know, you don't, you don't leave the service project early. You know, you don't, you don't pay 50% tithe, you know, in in the church. It's you, you do it all the way you do it as best you can and you fulfill the the service, which you've been given. And that was my mindset. Obviously Mm -hmm. I have a different mindset now. But that was, you know, how I was raised and that's kind of the culture of the church and it's, it's changing and that's great. But, you know, at that period of time, it was for anyone that, you know, can't complete the mission that they've been given, you know, it's, it's because either they sinned or they gave up or, you know, some other external circumstance that just had to do with weakness. Yeah. And that's so, the perception of people. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it ended up, you know, sending me home. And I went home and it was a really, uh, I laugh about it now, but it was, you know, 18 months of hell, um, 
for me. And uh, I talk about it proudly and boldly because I know that a lot of people are struggling right now with, you know, challenges and issues that are misunderstood and that are downplayed, but are legitimate and that are real and that um, can really impact a person's life. And so would, would you like me to talk a little bit about my experiences with coming home? Sure. Yeah. I would love to hear. Um, I think, you know, as a mother, um, I think I would, I would love to hear kind of the experiences that you've had and kind of maybe do's and don'ts of when a missionary, um, comes home, because I think as a mother and then also a member of a ward and a stake and (laughs) a community, I would like to know the things that I could do to help support missionaries that are coming home and mental health, you know? Yeah, right. Totally. So the first thing I would say is, you know, for anyone that that comes in early from a mission, the worst thing that you could possibly do is ask why. Um, why did you come home early? Because it's such a personal thing, um, especially when it's something as, you know, mis- as misunderstood as mental health, where you can't see a cast or a diagnosis of cancer. Um, you know, you can't, you can't see that. And so it's really hard to think of it as something that's as real, but it is as real. It's just, you know, it's hidden. And usually it's hidden under a guise of, you know, a smile and, oh, I'm doing great. You know, I'm, I'm hanging in there, but really deep down, you know, the individual is suffering, the individual is hurting yeah. and they feel totally alone. They feel completely, you know, forgotten. And so like you mentioned, some do's and don'ts, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on those after I talk a little bit about my experience, okay. but, um, Coming home, you know, I, I, have, I have a great family, great parents, but, you know, they didn't understand what I was going through. It was really hard to talk to them about it. Um, obviously, all my friends were out serving their missions, and so I couldn't talk to them about it. Yeah. Um, really, my only two friends, as, as funny as this sounds, was a 70-year-old psychiatrist and a 70-year-old counselor that I saw <laughs> um, biweekly. And yeah. so... That's amazing, but, you know, though, to, to know. I think that it's so important to turn to therapy and also medication if, if Mm -hmm. it's needed. Um, I think that that's another one of those taboo topics, but, um, in a couple of weeks I'll be interviewing actually my therapist, which is kind of fun. And people are like, what, you're going to have your own on and is she going (laughs) to talk about you? No, but (laughs) I just figured she has taught me so many things as I'm dealing with my health issues and different things that I want to share different strategies with everybody. And so I think it's admirable that you call them your friends because yeah, they probably helped you. So sorry to cut you off. You continue. Well, no, that's, that's hundred percent correct. I mean, I'll go a step further and say that, you know, they saved my life exactly. because I was in the deepest, darkest pit ever, um, that I'd ever experienced. And, you know, it, it made it even worse that I couldn't talk to anyone about it. But when I found them, when I got the help that I needed, it was the best hour and a half every two weeks that I could mm-hmm. imagine. Um, because they understood me because they validated me. It wasn't, you know, toughen up, go back out. You know, you're not doing what you need to do. It was, you know, you're in the exactly right place you need to be. You're doing exactly what you need to be doing. And you're not going to go back out for a while because we need to get you better. Um, we need to, you know, try and give you the medicine and the therapy that you need to heal. And so, they obviously I got put on more medications, medications that worked, medications that didn't, um, had therapy, love therapy, huge advocate for therapy. Um, 
I think everyone should do it regardless of circumstance. Yeah. It's just something that is so freeing to talk about, you know, things that are deep down inside of you. And um, obviously there can be some therapists out there that are hard to deal with, but for the majority of the part, you know, there's a lot of good therapists out there. And so anyways, I had that experience. That was about 18 months of therapy and medication. And like I was talking about those really dark places and, um, you know, led me to consider suicide at a couple moments and Mm -hmm. um, not because I wanted to quit, but just because I couldn't see another way out couldn't see another way out of the pain. And, um, you know, that's something that we can save for a later date, but I'm a huge suicide prevention advocate because mm-hmm. I know exactly why people consider it and, uh, why they go through with it. And I also know exactly how we can help them and it's through connection and it's through understanding and validation. Yeah. And so, um, going forward with the kind of the do's and don'ts, and I mean, these can honestly be applicable to anyone that's going through, you know, a testimony crisis of sorts. Yeah anyone that's kind of let somebody down culturally or hasn't fulfilled something that they think they need to fulfill within the church. Um, but like I mentioned before, the, the first number one thing that you do not do is you don't pry. You don't, you, I think something that we do as human beings and it's completely understandable is whenever something happens that we're curious about, it's, you know, who, what, where, when, why, why did this happen? Where did it happen? Who's doing this? What's going on? You know? And, uh, as innocent as that may come across in your mind, it can actually do a lot of psychological psychological damage to the person who's being asked the question because it can come across as, oh, I didn't do enough or, oh, I'm not enough or, oh, why are they asking me about it? Like, is this a commandment or, you know, is something that I'm doing wrong or something like that? And so that's the first thing that I would say not to do. And the opposite of that is something to do is really just to be kind. Yeah. I mean, when people are going through things like that, whether it's mental health or addiction or same-sex attraction or mm-hmm. discouragement, I mean, what people really want is connection. And maybe they don't want to talk to you about it, but maybe they do. And leading with, you know, the who, what, where, when, why questions isn't going to get you anywhere. But leading with kindness and with understanding and with the spirit of, you know, I don't really know what happened, but I don't care. Like, yeah. it's good to see you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, pray about it. Maybe you need to leave them some cookies on their doorstep and run away. Maybe you need to write them a little handwritten thank you note. Maybe you need to do nothing. Yeah. Um, and it, it's completely individual and it's not personal. Um, when someone's going through something like that, it's not personal at all. Um, and so for me, I just wanted to be left alone because there weren't a lot of people that got it. Yeah. And, um, and you were so, you know, right at the beginning, if you face this kind of crisis for 18 months after the MTC, you weren't in a place where you could even, when you're in that dark depression yeah. hole, mm-hmm. you, you can't even see the way out, the light out. Yeah. And so the connection, like you were saying, between you and people is so far away at that time. So you did the things that yeah. you needed to do, talking to the therapist and getting on the medication and, mm-hmm. and slowly kind of digging yourself back up out of that hole. And then when you're there, then you're more able to, you know, reciprocate, okay, I'm ready to talk to you now or any of exactly. that kind of thing. Yeah, that's perfect. I had to get to a place myself yeah. where I, where I could talk about it because I mean, you may think, oh, you know, Drew's been, Drew talks about this stuff all the time. No, I didn't really start talking about this stuff till maybe like 
six months ago. Wow. And I, I've been, I've been going through it for five years yeah. and I had to, I had to get to a place where I felt confident in myself. Oh, you talk and about felt, it so eloquently for only talking <laughs> about it for six months. I think you're now tell well, everybody how old you are because they don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm 24. You're so. young. You're just a baby. Yeah, I know. I know. Right. So, so but your I mean, wisdom is just so, and that's, <laughs> you know, my podcast is kind of finding the light in that darkness. So mm -hmm. during your difficult times, finding the positive things that come from it, because I'm a firm believer that every hard thing has a positive thing that comes from it. And I think that's totally. one of yours is just this wisdom that you've been given because you've seen the dark side of, you know, yourself and not just dark as in heavy is what I yeah. mean. And just knowing that from being there and knowing and experiencing that just can make you into a better minister, a better teacher. <laughs> um, I yeah, want I to kind so. of switch gears just for a little bit as we're um, going to be starting to wind down. But okay. um, so the title of your book talks about a mission and all of this definitely started as far as your specific mission for the Church right. of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, by the way, did you ever go back out that's a question I didn't. that everybody that you're not supposed to ask it when you're going back well, out. But. Yeah, now you can ask because um, I'm in a good place now. But yeah. no, I, I didn't. I didn't go back out. I, I defied all the status quos that had ever been placed upon me. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but you healed. But your mission, your book, talks about a mission. But oh yeah, from what. I've gathered, it seems like you're not necessarily talking. I mean, it's definitely applicable to missionaries, but you're actually talking to all of us and about mm -hmm. our mission in life. And I just want to quote you for a minute, if that's okay. Great. Yeah, please. So you wrote, like you said, an article for LDS Living. And mm -hmm. in it, you said, President Dallin H. Oaks said in general conference, what we call missionary work is not a program, but an attitude of love and outreach to those around us. In the church, there's such an emphasis on the term missionary work that people sometimes forget what missionary work is. As President Oak said, it isn't a program and it isn't a checklist item. It is love. It is hope. It is faith. As Alma tells us in Mosiah chapter 18, verse 9, it is being willing to mourn with those who mourn and comfort those who stand in need of comfort. I love that thought. I love. <laughs> Thank you. Is that kind of part of the book? Is that kind of the direction that your book will go is to kind of teach us about how to serve our mission in life in general and just about love? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like you said, I mean, it, the, the basis of the book is my experiences as, as an early return missionary. Um, there wouldn't be a book if I didn't have that experience because mm -hmm. um, that was kind of a launching pad for everything. So I do talk about missionaries. I do talk about missionary work, but like you said, the the foundation of the book is discovering and living our mission in life. And we do that through developing ourselves personally. We do that through being kind to others. We do that through, you know, prayer and scripture study and service. You know, I talk about these lessons and principles that I myself have learned through the, the dark moments um, by people much wiser than I. Um, and I think it is something that, you know, we all have, it's yeah. something that we all can fulfill regardless of our circumstance. People ask me all the time. I mean, I don't personally, um, uh, I don't personally 
deal with the challenge in the culture of the church of, you know, same sex attraction. Mm -hmm. But I do understand where those people are coming from. I have a lot of dear friends that experience those feelings. I have a lot of dear friends who go through that and who feel misunderstood and judged and not enough. And so the book is for anyone who feels that way. It doesn't matter what, you know, your orientation is. It doesn't matter if you have an addiction. It doesn't matter if you have a faith crisis. My book is a welcoming place for everybody. It's a place where people can sit down and read it for an hour. It's not a, it's not a super long book, um, (laughs) but it's a book that's long enough where you can really find some hope and some peace and some comfort in it because that was my goal. It was, you know, I wish that I had a friend that I could just feel understood by and validated by and loved by. And unfortunately I didn't have that. And so I wrote the book so that I could be that friend for others, so that I could be that comfort and that strength for others. And hopefully they can read it and they can understand that most importantly, that they are enough and that what they're going through now is just a situation. And I don't know how long it's going to last, but you can do it. You can be successful. Your life, your mission are beautiful. And I just want you to hang with us for a little bit longer because life, you know, tailors to those that can make it through difficult times and you have to be pretty special to go through those difficult times. (laughs) So anyone that reads the book, I hope it's a a place of comfort and peace and it's just, it tells my story and I tell it like it is. And um, I hope that people can just find that, that comfort understanding why I wrote it. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. So um, something that I ask all of my guests is to kind of share with us maybe one or two specific strategies that they use to stay in a positive frame of mind because mental health and life, honestly, for anybody is something that you're going to be constantly dealing with. And there are certain strategies that we can use in our life, no matter what we're going through, um, to help us kind of stay in that positive mindset. What are a few of yours that you do? Wow. Um, (laughs) Well, obviously I do a lot of journaling. Uh And that's just because some of my thoughts are just like, people wouldn't understand, you know, wouldn't understand this, but my journal does, my my journal understands this. So I talk, I do a lot of journaling, just writing down thoughts, um, writing down prayers. Sometimes I am really, um, I'm not very good at praying. And so I do my prayers in my journal and um, that allows me to, you know, listen better for responses and also just kind of get the main points out. Um, That's a neat concept. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like prayer is too, you know, much of a checklist item, but when I write it down, I kind of just say what I need to say and and get the feelings out that I need to get out. Um, But yeah, journaling is one of them. Another one of them is just spending time with myself. Um, Sometimes people can see that as selfish, but I think it's the furthest thing away from it. Um, because in order to take care of others, you need to take care of yourself. Exactly. And you need time to recharge and refuel and, and replenish your emotional, psychological, physical character. Yeah. And so those are the two things that I'd say that have benefited me a lot is journaling and um, just taking care of myself so that I can take care of others. Wonderful. And you have the cutest little family. So the way <laughs> that I found out about you is you and I are a member, members of a couple of like LDS Facebook yeah. groups uh-huh. and you would always post your, you know, different inspirational um, 
just kind of little inspirational messages <laughs> that you would yeah. make. And I just was always so impressed. And so oh, if anybody kind of is inspired by your story, um, like I said, I'll link the book for sure. But um, other than that, are there ways that they could get in contact with you? Yeah, I mean, I'm on Facebook. Um, just you can type in my name, Drew Young. Um, and I'm also on Instagram. My my username on Instagram is Mr. Drew B. Young, B as in boy. Okay. And I think that I create a, a, a safe place for people to come and follow because I really just try and talk about things that are positive. Even if it was a negative experience, I try and bring out the positivity in it and mm -hmm. just give people that place where they can come and feel understood and feel like they're not the only ones going through it. So yeah. I definitely I love invite it. You're, you to. You're honest on there. Um, <laughs> but I love that, like you said, you know, you're finding that, uh, that light in the darkness, even through difficult times. And totally. I love it. So um, thank you again so much for being here. And thank you all for listening. If you like this podcast, it would be amazing if you could subscribe to it. Um, so I just hope that you guys all have a wonderful week and that you're able to see the light in your own personal darkness. And we'll see you here next Wednesday. Thanks. Bye. I want to give a special thanks to my son Carter for recording and writing our intro and outro music for this podcast. If you want to hear more of his music, you can find him on Instagram at CarterGuitar456. 